All right. Uh, here to continue our series in the parables is Heather Kamira. Let's welcome Heather. Thank you. I want to welcome you, like Michael said, if you're new and joining us, uh, bravo. I'm glad you're here. Um, and for those of you that are online, we're really glad you're here as well. I have missed you guys. I have missed you guys. It's been a while. I was on a maternity leave in January, starting in January, and then COVID happened. And here I am, just months and months later. Um, for those of you who are raising children amidst this pandemic, bravo to you, seriously. And any new moms out there, I see a little one over here. Kudos to you. This is just a strange season that we're in, isn't it? Well, tonight we're continuing our series on the parables of Jesus. And if you haven't been here for this series so far, we've had two great teachings. And I want to encourage you, as always, to check it out online. We have audio and video now which is great. Some of Jesus's most well-known teachings are told in these short stories called the parables. And parables in Greek, it's parabole, and it means placing of one thing by the side of another. Parables are ingeniously simple word pictures laid alongside a profound and deep spiritual truth. But before we dive into the parable tonight, I want to start off by just simply asking you a question. I want to ask you, what do you think of when we talk about prayer? What do you think of when we talk about prayer or praying? Maybe for some of the kids in the room, I just see some kids here, maybe you think of prayer as the time at bedtime when you get to pray with your mommy and daddy before you go to sleep. Or, or maybe it's the song that you sing right before you eat a meal with your family. Um, I was talking to a friend who is solely watching our sermons online right now, and she said, Heather, I feel like all I can do is pray, right? And for those of you that are online that are isolated right now, that's probably what you're feeling. That's all I can do. Oh, but that is so powerful. And I know there's some of you in the room that are, I and mean, you are classic prayer warriors. I mean, you love to pray. You have a place that you go to pray. And, and yet, I also know there's probably some of you in the room that are like, honestly, I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray. Maybe for some of you, prayer is something that feels heavy and, and disappointing because you've prayed for something in the past and it didn't happen or you didn't receive that thing. Maybe it feels like your prayers just bounce off the ceiling. You know, I know for some of us, prayer can mean a variety of things in our lives. For me, the word that comes to mind when I think of prayer in this season of my life is wordless groans, which I know is weird. Bear with me. <laughs> but literally, that is what has come to mind numerous times over this strange season I've been walking through. And, and if you know my story a little bit, you know that both my pregnancies, both with my firstborn, Eden, and with this recent pregnancy with Haven, I was really sick. Like, really sick during both pregnancies. But with Eden... I, I mean, the moment I had, like, after I had her, I was fine. All the symptoms went away. But with Haven, it's been a very different story. And literally the day I came home from the hospital, I started experiencing some really strange symptoms. I started shaking all the time. I was having pretty bad panic attacks. Um, my body was going through hot and flash, you know, hot and cold flashes constantly. Um, 
I had really, really bad insomnia. I mean, that is the worst. When you are a new mom and all you want to do is sleep. All you want to do, you just really want to sleep. But I would lay there in bed and just, I mean, I would just cry out to God. I would cry out to God. And I'm not talking some like eloquent, you know, super spiritual cry. I'm talking like ugly cry, like ugly cry. And what I, what I came to find out was this was, you know, just a, it was a, a season of postpartum anxiety. That's what they kind of labeled it as. And, and I realized, boy, I needed the Lord in this time more than I needed him in a really long time. And, and I, would, I would just cry there to the Lord, and I would think uh, of these times where I would just, I would, I would think the words like wordless groans. That's what I feel like I'm doing right now, because I wouldn't have words. I didn't have words to pray. I would just cry. I would just cry to the Lord. And thankfully, I started getting better. <laughs> I started getting better with the help of my amazing husband and my mom and a really great doctor and a counselor. And I even felt like the Lord wanted me to call a hotline, so I called a postpartum hotline at one point. I mean, I was, I was really trying to reach out. Um, and I had some amazing prayer warrior friends that came around me in this time. And, and it was slow, but I'm, uh, I'm doing so much better now. And I, I remember thinking during that time and joking with a friend, I said, you know what? I used to think I was strong. Huh. I used to think I was strong. But you take away my sleep and I crumble. Like I'm a mess. I mean, it is the grace of God that is holding me up right now. So out of curiosity, I went back and I looked for, where's that verse that talks about wordless groans? And it was Paul in the book of Romans. And he said, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Charles Spurgeon, he says, Prayer is the natural outgushing of the soul in communion with Jesus. Just as a leaf and a fruit will come out of a vine branch without any conscious thought or effort on the part of the branch, but simply because of its living union with the stem. So prayer buds, blossoms, and, fruit, and fruits out of a soul abiding in Jesus outgushing. That's not a word you hear a lot. I like that word. I really like that word because it's so much less formal and religious sounding. Prayer should be less about the words used and more about what Spurgeon is talking about here. Our souls in communion with Jesus. That's what prayer is. So tonight we're going to look at the parable of the friend at night and it's found in Luke 11, 1 through 13. And it's only found in the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus uses it to teach one of the most foundational aspects of prayer. Before we dive into the passage, though, let's just do that. Let's pray real quick. Lord Jesus, we invite your presence to be with us. We know that you're here, but we just ask for more of you. And we just say, God, we are hungry for you. Uh, we are burnout of politics and religion and disunity. And we need you, Jesus. We need you to show us the way. We ask that you would come close tonight. We invite you here. And we would just pray that you would soften our hearts to hear from you. Would you remind us of your goodness and of your plan in this world that we might partner with you in your kingdom work? Amen. Well, the passage starts out tonight in a really interesting way. And right away in verse 1, this is what we read. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished... One of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. Now notice they ask, 
Jesus teach us to pray, not teach us how to pray. Not teach us how to pray. You know, the disciples, they grew up. They grew up memorizing prayers. They grew up hearing prayers all the time. Their culture was saturated with prayers. They thought they knew what prayer was till they met Jesus. Till they met Jesus. And after traveling with him for three years, they asked him to teach them not how to preach or how to cast out demons or to, to heal the sick. They asked him to teach them how to pray. They wanted to know not just the method per se, which Jesus does include in here, which is called the Lord's Prayer, but what's that secret of praying like Jesus? What made his prayer so different from the prayers they had heard all their lives? Now there's one, there are a number of things that I think must have been just miraculous and really remarkable about listening to Jesus pray. I mean, I just can't imagine like sitting there at the feet of Jesus, just listening to him pray. I think it would be so cool. But certainly among the most notable things was Jesus's intimacy with God the Father. It was this closeness, this, this intimacy, this, this intimate communion with the Father that marked the disciples. What Jesus shows us in this parable today is that how we view God changes how we pray. It changes how we pray. The focus of this parable isn't about how we should pray the right words in our prayers, but it's about a much more fundamental issue. It's this view of God. That is the foundation of prayer. We're not going to pray properly, or honestly, we're not going to pray at all if we don't deal with our view of God. So for a moment, I want you to just be honest with yourself and with maybe the Lord. In the deepest part of your heart, what do you feel like the Father in heaven is really like? When you're scared, when you're in need, when you've blown it, what is your Father in heaven really like? Let's go ahead and read and look at Luke 11, 5 through 8. And then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey. He has come to me and we have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. <laughs> the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet, because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. This picture of God, is this, is this what God is like? Let me give you some context. This is at a time before there were a bunch of motels and hotels on every single corner, right? And if someone showed up in your town at midnight, maybe they were traveling to avoid the heat of the day, they would, st they would stay at a friend's house. In the ancient Near East, hospitality was a major social obligation. And bread was always set out for a guest, no matter what the hour was. So if the host had run out of bread, and the host had an unexpected guest, according to Eastern culture, it was the community's responsibility to help this host. In fact, when a guest came to a house in a village, it was actually the village's responsibility to entertain the host, not just the host's. So when Jesus says, can you imagine a situation in which you went to your neighbor for bread and they refused you? And the answer would be no. That's, that's, that's not, it's unthinkable, right? You couldn't imagine such a thing in that culture. 
What Jesus does here is he contrasts this grumpy neighbor, this grumpy friend, with what Jesus, what, what God our Father is really like, which is a good and generous Father. What happens to our prayers when we view God like this, like this parable? What happens? I think it absolutely affects how we pray to God. Absolutely. I mean, I don't want to knock on the door of somebody like that. I have a neighbor like that. I never knock on his door. He scares me. <laughs> it affects even if we're going to pray. We don't pray at all, right? Maybe for you it's, it's fear or it's shame that stops you from knocking. Or, or you don't feel like your request is valuable or good enough. So you just stay silent. Or, or maybe you think of all the ways that you messed up this week. <laughs> and you shrink back from the door. Or maybe your request just seems too hard, too impossible for God, so you just don't bother. Or maybe you've been burnt. I mean, you've tried praying, but it was not answered, so you just don't even try. Or maybe when we do pray, we think that we have to keep knocking over and over and over again, begging God to give us the answer. Or maybe we come ready to debate and demand with our 20 reasons why we think he should grant our request. Or we think, you know, I actually haven't messed up lately, so maybe he'll be in a good mood. Maybe this is the chance. Maybe I've earned enough heavenly bonus points that'll hear me and he'll answer my prayers. You know, Jesus knows that our view of God can get warped and twisted over time. It is one of the main ways that the enemy, Satan, derails us is by lying to us about the nature of God. Too many times, this parable has actually been taught to mean that we have to hammer on God's door till he gives us what we want. But that just plays along with the narrative of God being that begrudging, grumpy neighbor. In this parable, when you really look at it, it is a parable of contrast of contrast, laid alongside this biblical truth to reveal God's true nature when we ask, seek, and knock. Let's, let's just continue reading in Luke 11, 9 through 13. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asked for a fish, We'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now right away, I want to address something that I also think gets in our way of seeing God for who he truly is, and that's, that's our earthly fathers. One of the challenges of this right away that I want to mention is that for many people, it is actually really disorienting to call God Father. It's, it's really hard to connect with, and it's because we take our experience, right? We take our experience and our understanding of our own parents, and we project them up onto God, right? Uh, we hear about the Father, but our experience is like a double exposure. You know what I mean? A double exposure. And and it goes on top of the picture of who God really is, and, and it's just blurry and fuzzy. But the Bible reminds us 
that God is a holy and different kind of father. Holy actually means that. It means completely set apart, absolutely alternative. He's not like anything you've ever seen. He's not like the best dad you've ever seen, and he's not like the worst dad you've ever seen. He's absolutely different. We are not meant to take our picture of father and project it up on God. Rather, we're meant to take the character of God that is revealed through the Holy Spirit and through his word and, and let it be impressed on us, marked by his goodness, his kindness, so much so that it alters our lives. Jesus says that his whole ministry was to reveal to us the father that we've longed for and the father we've always desired. Now, I think it's worth pointing out as well that we probably don't realize how incredibly radical, how unprecedented this was. In all of religious history, for someone to look up to heaven and call God Father, my Father, was absolutely unheard of. New Testament scholars have done intensive research on this, and they have looked at the entire history of the ancient Ju Judaism, and they have no example of any individual ever saying to God, my father, until Jesus came along, until Jesus came along. And here in the gospels alone, in the gospels, Jesus calls God father 175 times. You think he's trying to get at something? Maybe, just maybe. And you know the word that Jesus uses for father here? It's actually a Hebrew word, and it means Abba. Abba, that means daddy. And I think my daughter, Haven, she knew that this sermon was coming up because this week she did just that. She said dada for the first time. I know, right? And we have no idea if she knew what she was saying at all, right? But, but it made my husband Adam's week. I mean, that just, that made him smile. When we see God as our good and generous father, it absolutely changes how we pray. It changes how we pray because it actually changes our position in prayer, our position in prayer. No longer do we come to God as a needy friend. We come to God as children, as children. I don't have this on the slide, but in 1 John 3, 1, it says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Here John communicates the shock and the privilege that believers have in Christ being adopted, being called children of God. Adoption, by the way, is, is a change not of nature. It's not a change of behavior. It's a change of status. It's a change of status. You now have access to God that nobody else has because of what Jesus did for you. Not Okay, I'm, I'm living a good life, so, so God, hear my prayer. No, it's, it's God, because of what Jesus did for me, because what he did for me on the cross, hear my prayer because I'm your kid, I'm your child. You are his. You are his. And, and lastly, he doesn't leave you alone. He doesn't leave you alone. What's interesting to me is that right here at the end, Jesus introduces the subject of asking for the Holy Spirit. And Luke 11, 13, just the last part of verse 13. How much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him. When we give our lives to Christ, 
the greatest asset in prayer, and honestly, the greatest motivator in prayer, is the Holy Spirit within us. God has given us the greatest gift. Not just that he's adopted us and called us his children, but, but he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the manifest presence of, of the good Father himself. The presence of God himself. What I know about intimacy, which means into me see, I love that, into me see, is that it doesn't just happen, right? We don't bear our souls to just anybody. But when we know, when we sense God's presence with us, when we read in scripture about who God is, about how loved we are by God, when we see how safe we are in his presence, how accepted we are, how secure we are, we can begin to open up to the presence of God, to trust him, to pray. C.S. Lewis said, I pray because I can't help myself. <laughs> I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need just flows out of me all the time, waking, sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. It changes me. The prayer that changes us, prayer that builds our relationship with God, it has to have that element of that, that raw emotional honesty to it, doesn't it? Here's what I'm feeling, God. Here's what I really care about. <laughs> this is what matters to me. Here's what I want. This is what's really upsetting me right now. Prayer is not a bunch of religious jargon that keeps God at arm's length. It's like a prayer of a child. It's, it's the honesty of a child. My, my daughter, she just, just this week, <laughs> bless her. Is she here? I wonder if, oh, there she is. She came up to me. And she said, Mama, I know what you need. And I was like, oh, really? What do I need? She put her little hand on my, on my shoulder, and she said, God, she started praying for me. I said, God, would you help Mama not be so flustered? <laughs> would you help Mama not be so overwhelmed right now? And she prayed this prayer for me, and I kept thinking, this girl knows me better than I know myself, right? It's the honesty of a child, the honesty of a child. In closing, then, how does this look? How does this look? Wherever and whatever your emotions, whatever you're feeling, whatever your mood, invite God into that. Invite God into that. When you're angry or you've been offended by someone, instead of trying to work out your anger on your own, in your own head, rehearsing it over and over, pretending maybe even that I'm okay, I'm fine, give it to God. Invite him into that. Tell him, you know what, Lord, I've been really discouraged lately. I've been disappointed. I, I wish things had turned out differently. And instead of stuffing it, instead of stuffing it, let your circumstances of disappointment be a knock to let him in. Let him in. Or maybe you're saying, this is, this is how I feel. I have tried so hard, and I thought it was going to work out differently. Fill me. Fill me with hope again, God. Don't let your doubt cause you to keep God at arm's length. Invite him into the doubt. Be honest with him. I'm really struggling, God. <laughs> I'm struggling with your goodness. I'm even struggling with your existence. With, with God, honestly, I'm even struggling that my, my concerns are even 
given anything to you. Let, let God into that doubt. When you're tempted, don't feel the temptation to create the, the temptation to create a, a wall between you and God. Don't let shame make you want to hide from God. Invite the Lord into the temptation. Lord, this is what I'm feeling right now. Here's the thought that just came into my mind. Here's the desire. Trust me, he's not going to be shocked by it. He knows. Invite him into your temptation. When we trust and see that God is our good and our generous father, when we invite him in, it not only transforms our prayers from just mere laundry lists, but into what Spurgeon said, into, into that outgushing of our souls. And ultimately, prayer, when we allow it, 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 it transforms us. It transforms us. That's what prayer is. Why don't we go ahead and just stand? As the worship team comes back up, we're going to take some time to actually take communion together, like Michael said earlier. So if you haven't picked up the elements, of, um, just feel free to go ahead and grab them real quick. And if you're online, just feel free to go grab something from your fridge <laughs> and join us. Just join us. You know, taking communion together is, again, just, it's like prayer. It is so much more than this ritual, right? It's a powerful way for, for us to remember and proclaim Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection together. So with your families and with your friends at your seats and online, let's take communion together. The Lord Jesus, on the night of his arrest, took the bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. And in the same way, he took the cup. This is the cup. The cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the sacrifice, your sacrifice on the cross, for making a way for us to know you as our good Father, to live in communion with you all of our days. Lord, just would you forgive us for the ways that we have put you at arm's length, and I pray you would soften our hearts to your voice and your leading, and that you would use us in the work of your kingdom. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to go back into worship right now, and we're going to sing a few more songs, and then I'm going to come back up. So let's worship and praise God together, and I'll come back up and just close our time together.